Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out and joining us this morning. Hey, before I kind of get into the day, I just want to make a quick announcement. So last week, I don't know if you were with us, but last week we had some technical difficulties with our live stream. And at one point, the the whole thing just kind of collapsed. And that's not fun. (laughs) It's kind of stressful. And so what we've done this week is we've got our team watching alongside with you. And if we notice that for any reason this stream starts to break down, we are going to post a link to this video on our main Facebook page. So for some reason, if this drops out on you, if for some reason you can't get back in, just head to that main Facebook page and you will see the link to this video. With that being said, this week we are kicking off week two of Joseph in this series that we're calling BC, where for the next few weeks we are going to be talking about what happened before it all happened. Meaning what happened before Jesus Christ stepped on the scene? Because at DHC, one of the things that we do is we put a heavy emphasis on the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and the practical application of his teachings and the rest of the New Testament for that matter. What about the thousands of years of history before he came onto the scene, before he put on human flesh? Well, for these few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some of the key figures in the Old Testament. And our goal is not the practical application of those truths, but rather our goal is to find out their stories. Who were these people? What did they go through? How did God use them? And how did their story impact our story today? So this week, as we kind of wrap up the Joseph um, story, I'm going to be honest with you. We got a lot to do. Okay, I hope you've had your coffee because there's a lot to cover. We got to get through about 10 chapters and 20 years of history in about 30 minutes or so. And so maybe I bit off a little bit more than I can chew. I don't know. Okay, but you guys are smart people. I think you can hang with all of this. I'm just going to let you know that today might be like taking a sip of water out of a fire hose. All right, so just just get ready. But if you remember from last week, we kind of couched this whole conversation in a phenomenal verse, in an amazing promise that's found in the New Testament. And, and it's, while it's an amazing and encouraging promise, it can be confusing at times, and it can also be frustrating at times. And if you remember, I'm talking about Romans 8:28, And in this promise, Paul says to us, look, and we know, we have this confidence that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Which means that if this is true, and I believe it is, and I know that many of you believe it is as well, well, we don't need to be afraid at all, ever. Because no matter what we're going through, ups or downs, God's in control even when it looks like it's out of control. That God has a plan for the good and God's got a plan for the bad. He's going to work everything together for our good. You know what this verse actually is? It's actually a promise of deliverance. It shows us that we worship a God that delivers his people. Now, the thing about deliverance, it's not really deliverance until it's the 11th hour, right? I mean, in order to be delivered, you got to be delivered from something like a trial or a tribulation or a storm or a hardship. And the difficult thing is that when you're in the middle of this hard time in your life, you don't know what the future holds. 
You don't, you don't know how God is going to work out this particular situation that you're going through, which is not a good situation. You really have no idea how he's going to work this out together for your good, which means you need to live your life by faith and not by sight. So last week, as we kind of kicked off and were introduced to Joseph, who, by the way, is not the father of Jesus. Rather, he's the man from the Old Testament born around 1800 B.C., we were introduced to this 17-year-old kid who was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and we were told that God was with him. He was then falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison, and we were told that God was with him. And while he was in that prison, he met two men, two guys that worked for the king, the pharaoh. And these guys had dreams, and Joseph interpreted these dreams, and he said to the one guy, look, here's the deal. You're going to get out of prison pretty soon. In fact, you're going to get out in three days. And when you get out, I need you to do me a solid, okay? Would you do me a favor? Would you go to Pharaoh? Would you tell him I'm in here, that that, that I shouldn't be in here? And can you get me out, please? And we wrapped up last week by reading Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, when it said this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. One of the most painful things that we can go through in life is having hope and then having those hopes dashed. I mean, it's why we say things like, don't get your hopes up, right? Hey, listen, listen, I know you're excited. Don't get your hopes up. Why? Because we know that when you get your hopes up, that something's going to happen, and when it doesn't happen, it's, it's like worse than ever, right? It, it, it's like worse than it could possibly be. And Joseph had put his hopes in this cupbearer. And he's thinking, listen, this guy gets out one or two hours. He's going to come back with the jailer. He might even come back with the Pharaoh himself. And I'm out of here, right? Maybe by lunch. But what happens? One day goes by, nothing. Two days goes by, nothing. Every time Joseph hears, you know, footsteps coming down the corridor, he's like, ooh, ooh, maybe this is them. Maybe, maybe I'm getting out. And nothing happens. Once again, for this poor kid, it seems like God has abandoned him. Well, that's where the story picks up today. The very next line in the story says this, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream, which means that Joseph has now been stuck in prison for two full years. But now it seems like God is moving. Pharaoh has this dream. And and it's a very interesting dream. In this dream, it's actually two parts he dreams about cows and he dreams about grain. He, he, in the first dream, he sees seven healthy cows, like really top-of-the-line primo cows. But then he dreams about seven nasty cows. And these seven nasty, skinny, thin, gross cows, they eat the healthy cows. Then he kind of rolls over and has a second dream where he, he sees seven healthy heads of grain. But then he sees seven nasty, like, diseased heads of grain, and the diseased heads of grain eat the good grain. Well, then he wakes up, and it says in the morning, his mind was all troubled. He was like, what the heck was that, all right? And so he sent for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer, oh, it's our old friend, the chief cupbearer. He's back, okay? Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. All right. So we're, we're to believe, let me see if I understand this correctly. We're to believe that he forgot 
to, he forgot to tell the Pharaoh about Joseph. Come on, come on. Listen, I, I would never forget that. I mean, if I met somebody who could perfectly interpret my dreams, who, and then those dreams came, I mean, I would tell everybody I met. I'd go on the radio, I'd go on TV, I'd go on the internet. You've got to see this guy, you've got to meet this guy. This is amazing. No, 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 no. In my opinion, he didn't forget. In my opinion, he sat on this information. For two years, he kept Joseph, this dreamer, in his back pocket as leverage because he knew one day, one day I'm going to need this guy. One day I can use this dreamer to promote myself within this kingdom. And so he goes to the Pharaoh. He goes, Pharaoh, boss, my man, I hear you got a problem. Well, listen, I got what you need. I got a guy, all right? I got a guy. Let me tell you about him. And so the Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, listen, Joseph, I had a dream, all right? And, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So this is, I mean, this is a big, this is Joseph's big moment, right? This is, this is his time to shine. I mean, because for the first time in a long time ever, he is finally before the most powerful man in the entire world. Clearly, his reputation precedes him, all right? So this is it. And this is the time for him to leverage everything, leverage everything he has, everything he is, everything he can do to get himself out of jail and back onto the road to redemption. Take a look at how Joseph captures this opportunity. He looks at the Pharaoh and he says, I cannot do it. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, no, um, I, I can't do it, but God will give the Pharaoh the answer he desires. And I'm just, I have to imagine that, that the courtiers, that, that the cupbearer, who by the way is like banging on Joseph, nailing this one, I, I have to imagine they heard him just say this and go, you, my friend, are an idiot. You blew it. I mean, you had this tremendous opportunity to take what's yours, to set yourself up for success. And you're, now you're saying, oh, it's not me, it's God. You see, what the world might look at as naivete was actually a profound act of humility because our gifts, well, they're just not for our glory. I mean, Joseph was given the ability to interpret dreams. We all have been given unique gifts and talents and, and abilities. And the scripture is very clear. These gifts that we've been given um, by God, they're not given to us for our glory. They're not given us to, for us to have praise and recognition. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look how successful I have made myself. No, no, no. Rather, these gifts have been given to us to bring glory to God and to serve those around us. Now, fortunately, if we are good stewards of what God has given us, we will get blessed in the process. So Pharaoh hears this man. He hears this act of humility, and he's impressed. I mean, everybody else... They're just a bunch of sycophants. They're just doing whatever they can, saying whatever they can to get ahead in life. But here they have this little Hebrew boy saying, it's not me, it's God. So Pharaoh tells him the dream. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, all right, here's the deal. The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same, right? You got two dreams, but they're basically the same dream. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
And then he explains to Pharaoh that the seven cows and, and the seven grains of wheat, that, that means seven years. And he says, there are going to be seven years of great abundance that are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But after that, there's going to be seven years of famine that will follow. And the reason, right, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So this is a, this is a bold proclamation that, that Joseph has just told Pharaoh, all right? But he doesn't stop there. No, he takes it upon himself now to give Pharaoh a plan. He's kind of like, all right, Pharaoh, here's the deal. Here's a, uh, a you know, nickel's worth of free advice, if you will. He says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the entire land. Basically, he's like, look, Pharaoh, here's the deal. You got to find a guy who can, who can run this effort that I'm about to tell you, because what you're going to need to do over the next seven years, you're going to need to basically impose a 20% tax on everybody. You're going to need to collect 20% of their grain. If they don't have grain, parsley, sage, rosemary in time, you know, the whole bit. You got to fill your storehouses beyond measure. You need to collect and collect and collect because there's going to come a time when you're going to need it. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, which I think is so amazing. I mean, he's not, he doesn't, he's not a worshiper of our God. He says, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. He continues, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Oh my gosh, what a turn of events. From the prison cell to the prime minister, Q. Tony Bennett, I know I'd go from rags to riches. All right, this is like... Joseph is the golden boy. I mean, you got to see this. He's, he's got the Midas touch, all right? He's given the best clothes, the best jewelry. He's given the best house, the best chariot. Pharaoh gives him some smoke show wife. I mean, life is good for Joseph, all right? He, now, as you continue to read in the story, he starts traveling around Egypt. He's carrying out his plan. This boy is at the top of his game. Life is good. And then we get an interesting little bit of information. I want to show you this. It says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second son, this is interesting. The second son he named Ephraim. And he says, what Ephraim means is that it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So this is really interesting, these names. Let me tell you why. Last week, what we saw is that it's very difficult to believe that God is with you in the tough times. But you know what's even harder? Recognizing God in your success. I mean, it's, it's far easier to say, oh, it's not me, it's God, when you're at the bottom, when you really don't have much to lose. But it is way more difficult when you are at the top of your game to say, you know what? It's him not me. And so what did Joseph do? Joseph made a memory marker of God's faithfulness in his life, and he named his children after these 
phenomenal gifts, if you will, blessings that God has given, which begs the question, what are we doing? I mean, are, are we careful to give God thanks in the good times? Story continues. It said, when all of Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. This is where it starts to get good. Scene change, all right? All of a sudden, we're back in Israel. We're back at the homestead. We're back where Joseph grew up. Genesis 42, 1 and 2. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Okay, he's like, hey, dopes, what are you doing? Why do you keep looking at each other? He goes, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. You see where this is going? Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. All right, so Benjamin is the only full-blooded brother of Joseph. Everybody else is half-brothers. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. All right, so clearly 20 years may have passed, but Jacob didn't learn anything. He's, he's, he's still playing favorites. He's like, all right, guys, listen, you know the drill. Joseph was the best. We, we know that, all right? That's why I gave him the coat. But now that he's done, Benjamin slides into first place. So you guys go to Egypt, but, but Benjamin's going to stay home, okay? You got, like, I can risk you guys, but he's got to stay here. I got to keep him safe. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't somebody have a dream like this about 20 years ago about some brothers bowing down before somebody else? Yeah, I thought so. It continues. It says, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Okay, let's stop here for a second because this is an amazing scene. Now, picture this, all right? Picture this. I sound like Sophia Petrillo from the Golden Girls. Picture this. Sicily, 1920. Now, picture this for a second. 20 years have gone by. Standing before you are the very people that betrayed you. Standing before you are the very people that made your life miserable. Okay, fine. Now, life's good now, right? Thank God. But these low lives are responsible for the hell that you have gone through. And now they're standing before you and they need you. And you have all the power in the world. And God is with you. What do you do? Let me tell you why this is so important. There's going to come a time in your life, and if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. There's going to come a time in your life when those who have hurt you will need you. I, I don't know if it's a biblical principle. I don't know if it's, it's sort of you reap what you sow or what goes around comes around. I don't think that's in the Bible. But at some point, it always seems to be the case that that person or that group of people, maybe even those that hurt you the most, are someday going to need you. And what are you going to do in that moment? I mean, for you, I mean, everybody's situation is different, but for, for you, maybe, maybe it's your parents. Maybe growing up, you just had an awful childhood. I mean, you had parents that just, 
they dropped the ball. I mean, I don't know if they were absent in your life. I don't know if there was abuse going on. But whatever the case may be, you, you got out of there finally. You're doing well now. You've made a clean break. And now it is 20 years, 30 years later. You get a phone call and it's dad. You get a knock on the door and it's mom. Hey, we need you. We need your help. I'm sorry. You, you need my help? How dare you? You, you missed my graduation, you missed this, you missed that, I went through this, and now you're coming to me, you need my help? How dare you? Or maybe your situation's more like Joseph. Maybe, maybe it's a, a sibling. Maybe you had a brother, maybe you had a sister, they made life awful, maybe they got involved in, I don't know, criminal activity, they tore the family apart, but you got out, you're doing well for yourself, what do you know? They need you. What do you do? What do you do when you are someone who has been hurt and mistreated, and suddenly you have all the power. What does Joseph do? He looks at those brothers and he says, You are spies. <laughs> he goes, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is protected. <laughs> okay, so obviously Joseph took the high road. All right, he's like, I'm gonna take the high road, I'm gonna mess with these guys for a little bit, and he throws them in jail. He throws his brothers in jail, which kicks off five of what are the best chapters in the entire Bible. I mean, this is some phenomenal story. When you get time, you got to go and, and you got to read this for yourself. I mean, what a great story. But this week, when I got to this part, I started struggling. I go, we got a problem on our hand. The problem is that the goal of this series is for you guys to hear this story. And the reality is that the story is now getting too long for us to read on a Sunday morning, I'm just, I, I go, how do I, how can I achieve this goal if we can't read the scripture? And then I had an idea. What I'm going to do for the remainder of this message is I'm going to channel my inner Charlie Chaplin, if you will. And I'm going to borrow a storytelling device from the silent film era to help me quickly run you through the rest of this story. So with that being said, are you ready? Buckle up. The deal, okay? A little of the old razzmatazz for you. The deal. So after three days, Joseph hauls his brothers out of the jail. He throws them in front of them. They start pleading their case. All of these boys start spilling their guts. We're innocent. We didn't do anything. We're not spies. We're all brothers. We have the same dad. We had a brother. He died. That's Joseph, okay? We had a brother. He died. We have one more brother. He's still at home. At which point, Joseph locks on to that. And he goes, wait, 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 what was that? And they go, well, we, have, we, got a, we got a brother, Benjamin. He's at home. So Joseph hears this, and he goes, all right, here's the deal. I will believe that you are not spies. If you go back home, get your brother, Benjamin, was it? Benjamin, bring him back here. Here's the catch. One of you got to stay with me, that guy right there. What's your name? Simeon, you're going to stay with me while your brothers go. So the brothers take the deal. And they begin walking back home. The trap. Oh, but Joseph had some tricks up his sleeve. He wasn't done yet. He sends them home, and he sends them home with the grain that they came there to buy. But he hid their silver back in their sacks. And as the brothers walk, they're about a day's journey out. They take a little water break. They reach into their sacks to have a little bit of a snack. And what do they find? Their silver. Scripture says that their heart sank and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? 
They are petrified because they're thinking, if we get caught, it's going to look like we stole this grain because we got the grain and we got our silver. Now, we don't know Joseph's motives, why he is doing this right here, but the effect is clear. But the consciences of these brothers are, are, are being tortured. And it's an amazing peek into, into their mindset because 20 years after they sold their brother into slavery, it is clear that they have not stopped thinking about it. In fact, right now, they, they firmly believe that God is exacting judgment and punishment on them for what they did to Joseph. And they pack up and they continue on their journey. They finally get home. They tell their father, Jacob, well, this is a disaster. You're not going to believe this. I mean, they thought we were spies. They sent us home. They let Simeon back there right now. The only way we can get Simeon out of jail is if we take Benjamin back with us. But Jacob strikes again. He's like, you guys are idiots. Straight up. He goes, you, he goes first we lose Joseph. Now you go and lose Simeon. All right, now you want to take Benjamin? You got to be crazy. Not going to happen. My son will not go down there with you. His brother's dead. He's the only one left. <laughs> to which the other brothers are like, I'm sorry. He's the only one left? Who are you talking to right now? <laughs> so they're like, Dad, what are we going to do? We're just going to leave Simeon in jail? To which I, I feel like, you know, Jacob's like, well, happens <laughs> all right so time goes on we don't we don't know days weeks months but simeon's in jail and the famine is getting worse and worse and worse and, and it's gotten so bad at this point they have a family round table and they basically say we we gotta we gotta go so jacob allows them to take benjamin back to egypt at long last so the brothers and Benjamin, they arrive at the palace. The guards grab them and, and quickly escort them to Joseph's house. Now, something feels off. This does not feel right. This is, there's something going on here. They're really scared when all of a sudden Joseph appears before them. And for the first time in 22 years, he lays his eyes on his brother, Benjamin. And the scripture says, deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He had went into his private room and wept there. It's the same emotion you feel. It's, it's the turmoil. It's that pain of memory because you thought you put it all behind you. You thought that you had moved on from, from the past, but he's calling again. She's... She's calling again, and, and, and all of that junk that you thought you had put away starts to boil back to the surface. And, and on the one hand, you want to be above it all. But on the other hand, you want to teach him a lesson. The double cross, okay? So these brothers, they held up their end of the bargain, right? They brought Benjamin back with them, and so, so you know, Joseph's got to hold up his end of the bargain. He goes, all right. I believe you. You're not spies. So he feeds them and he sends them home. Now imagine that walk home. I mean, how, how good was that walk? Their shoulders are light. They're high-fiving. My gosh, that was a close one. But we got Simeon. We, we, we got Benjamin. Dad's going to be so proud of us for once. All right, when all of a sudden they hear horses in the distance. Out of nowhere, 
the, the, the palace guards ride up on them. They stop them. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. We have reason to believe. Listen, we have reason to believe that one of you has stolen the prime minister's silver cup. To which the brothers go, wait, hold on, listen. Okay. We've been through a lot recently, but we definitely, we trust us, we definitely did not steal this cup. In fact, you know what? Just to show you how innocent we are, here's the deal. You could search our bags. Search them. Go ahead. Put whatever, search the bags. And if you find the silver cup in somebody's bag, you can take that person as a slave. Now, little did these brothers know that when they weren't looking, Joseph snuck his silver cup into one of their sacks. This was, this was one giant ruse. And so the palace guards, they start looking in this sack, and they go to this brother, then they go to this brother, then they go to this brother, when all of a sudden, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And at this, they tore their clothes. And, and, and when, when the, um, in Hebrew, when they talked about tearing their clothes, that was a signal of just absolute sorrow, absolute anguish. This was just as bad as it could get. It says they tore their clothes and they loaded their donkeys and they returned back to the city with the guards. These brothers are, are, are destroyed. It's over. I mean, they lost the very one they were supposed to protect, Benjamin. Honestly, honestly, it's a really sad scene. And the thing is, Joseph has orchestrated the entire charade. All right, now theologians look at this and they go, you know, this just seems out of character for Joseph. I mean, this just doesn't seem like something uh, that, that he would do as an upright and, and, and moral person, to which I would say, really? I mean, because, I mean, Joseph's not Jesus. I mean, he's not perfect. He is a human. And let's not forget, for those of you who have read the Old Testament, Joseph's dad, Jacob, very devious person. I mean, he, he's the one who conned his brother out of a birthright. He's the one who tricked his father into giving a blessing. So this sort of devious, sort of mischievous um, behavior is in Joseph's DNA. But what theologians believe is that the reason Joseph did all of these games with his brother is he wanted to test their hearts. He wanted to find out who these men were after 20 two years, a softened heart. So the brothers and Benjamin, they arrive back at the palace, Joseph's there, and they immediately throw themselves at his feet and they beg for mercy. And Judah, the one brother, sort of steps up as, as the spokesperson for the group. And he says, my Lord, we're innocent. We have not done this. And, and then he appeals to Joseph who he does not know as his brother. He appeals to Joseph and he says, my Lord, do you have a father? Do, do, do you have brothers? Because if, if, if we leave Benjamin here, our father will be destroyed. He will die. And then Judas says something amazing. He says, so please, my Lord, let me. Let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return to his brothers. Wow. The very man who was responsible for coming up with the plan to sell Joseph into slavery is now sacrificing his own life for his brothers. What 
a heart change. The big reveal. Joseph, upon seeing this heart change in his brothers, realizing that these are not the same guys, seeing the brokenness in his family, he becomes overwhelmed and he immediately orders all of his Egyptian staff to get out of the room. Clear the room. Clear the room. Get out of here. Get out of here. I want to be alone with these men. And as soon as all of his Egyptian servants leave, he breaks down into tears. In fact, Scripture says he sobbed so loudly and so uncontrollably that the entire household heard him. And the Egyptians were worried, and the brothers were looking at this, and, and they have no idea what's going on. And when he, he gathers himself and composes himself, Joseph looks at his brothers, and for the first time he speaks in Hebrew and says to them, I am Joseph. <laughs> I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Yeah, I bet they were, okay? Because all of a sudden, the man they sold in slavery is the very man who has their, their own fate in his hands. If you were Joseph, what would you say in this moment? Take a look at what he says. And now, my brothers, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. To which I, f I feel like as an audience, I feel like we hear this and we go, um, Joseph, you've got this. You're, conf you're confused. You, you, you've, you've been away for it too long. God did not, God did not send you here. Your, your, your brothers did this. They're, I mean, but for your brothers, you would not have been put into slavery. I mean, but for your brothers, you would not have, have faced rape allegations. But for your brothers, you would have not ended up in prison for two years. No, God doesn't allow these things to happen. He doesn't, what are you, what are you saying? He doesn't, allow, he doesn't leverage these things for, for good, no. To which Joseph would look at us and say, you're, you're missing the bigger picture. You see, God was always with me. When I was back home with mom and dad, God was with me. When, when I was sold into slavery, yeah, God was with me then. When I was in prison for all those years, God was with me. When I saved the nation, God was with me. Yeah, he may have been awfully silent, trust me. He may have been awfully silent, but he was never absent. And because God is with me now, I forgive you. And this amazing story, wraps up with one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. This is Romans 8.28, almost 2,000 years before it was written. God works everything out together for our good, for those who love the Lord. You see, at no point did Joseph know the future. I mean, all he knew was his present circumstances. Joseph had no idea that when he was in slavery, it would work out like this. Joseph had no idea that when he was in prison, that it would work out like this. Which means right now, today, you have no idea. You, you just have no idea how God is using your current situation for your good. 
and for the good of those around you. You see, God gave us a promise and he showed us a story to back it up. So, what's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I want to, I want to wrap up this, this two-part series on Joseph by asking this question that we've been asking for the last two weeks, and it's this. What would your life look like if you knew? I mean, if you knew that you knew that you knew that God was with you, how would you act? How would you react to your current circumstances? What would your mental health, put it this way, what would your mental health look like if you believed with all your heart that God was with you, that he would never leave you, that he would never forsake you, that God is willing and able to turn evil that has been perpetrated on you into good? How would that change your life? How would you change your life? One of the things this story teaches us, and I think it's so important, is that bad things do happen to good people. Bad things do happen to good people. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. And it doesn't mean that God isn't working. In fact, our faith, I firmly believe, is based on the idea that the worst thing in the world happened to the very best person in the world, Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. And that crucifixion and that resurrection shows that God can work the worst evil ever perpetrated on his son. He can turn that into the greatest blessing that mankind has ever seen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come together and just hear this amazing story. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've preserved this for almost 4,000 years, Lord. God, I pray that we are encouraged by this story. I pray that for those of us who are going through hardship, Lord, and who isn't at this point, I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to see by faith, not by sight, that you are with us every step of the way, God, that you would give us confidence to know that even when it looks dark, you've got a plan, that we don't know how long it's going to take, Lord, for you to answer the, our prayers, but we know that when you finally say now and open up the floodgates of heaven, we can rejoice in knowing that we serve a God that delivers who works everything together for our good. I pray that folks are encouraged today. And I pray that everything that we do honors and glorifies you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.